strange days, Kristen Bell. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I, how many times a day do I say that to you? A Every lot. three hours? At least. Like, oh man, this is so strange. I'll literally call a friend and say, hey, in your house, do you all turn to each other on a regular basis and say, this is so weird. And then as soon as a friend goes, yeah, I feel so much better. Well, haven't you noticed that it's impossible to have any conversation with anyone without it coming up? Right. Do you? But I don't think you do it. Do you do it? Like you're just walking around making a sandwich. I don't know who walks around and makes a sandwich, but I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't <laughs> that have would be very strange. Distinct recollections of you just needing to just continually repeat. This is just so odd. What's happening? It's true. You might have a greater need for that than okay, I do. Okay. Good. Okay. But I've noticed that everyone seems to have a need everyone for it. Everyone seems to have a need. So it's like it lets the pressure out of the valve or something. So hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Robcast. And whether you are like Kristen and don't continually need to say the obvious, to state the most <laughs> clear truth, which is these are strange days, or you're like me and you need to say it, something for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> That was like a whole setup there. <laughs> That's like, great. <laughs> like a whole intro. So um, in this episode, normally you have the notebook. Normally you have the, the structure. And then I'm just sitting here seeing where you take us. Right. But it looks like you have the outline today. You are, are just traveling. And I'm just showing up. This light. Is, this is fun. And I've got a couple of things here. So here's what I want to do, Kirsten Bell. Because uh, normally I would be, I would live with this way longer, craft it, shape it, you know what I mean, structure it all out, and then do something about it, episode, book, tour, et cetera. But this one, I'd rather, I think it'd be more fun just to throw out a bunch of ideas right now that are in the early, early, early stages for me, and then see what you have to say. Although I've probably, you've probably heard bits and pieces of all this. You know what I mean? Yeah, probably. So we're way, way early in the process. Right. But because, um, and it's partly, this is like a prediction about something that I think is coming because I can feel it and I've sensed it and I've picked it up here and here and here. But it's, it's, I think something profound is coming in the way that people think about time. Um, and I think it's because of the industrial revolution. I think it's because of relationships and family. I think it's because of work. I think it's because of what we know from quantum physics. I think it's uh, deeply shaped by what technology has done for us. So I see all these different things and I want to like throw them all against the wall and see what sticks. Great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember maybe like four months ago you started talking about I this. I know I did. I did. And I've seen a couple of books around that have time <laughs> yeah, in the title. Yeah. Books by like Italian theoretical physicists. <laughs> yeah. There's one right there I can see. Um, okay, so, but here's what I want to do first. I want to go way back. I want to go 20 years back when you and I started going to that yoga class by that magnificent teacher, Vicky, who had been using a space but then had designed and built her own yoga studio. And I remember you and I were new to yoga. Right. I think at first we were meeting in like an office building somewhere because she was just and she, and kind we of were practicing all new to it. as a teacher. So this is like 1999, two, I mean like 20 years ago. Um, right. It was pre-yoga clothes. Right. It was the, just like wear something comfortable. like Loose fitting clothing. Like pajama pants. Right. Pre-Lululemon. <laughs> right. <laughs> so... Um, and I remember when she opened up her studio and it was like a building, a space that was designed for yoga. And you and I were just like, whoa, because we hadn't seen that before. Um, and yoga was just, I mean, it had been around forever, but like in terms of Western consciousness, yoga was just entering sort of mainstream uh, practice and awareness even. And... Uh, I mean, you and I, like we had young kids, we were just, we were working, our schedule was so full. Um, I mean, our life was so like 
not full isn't the word. It was like just, it was like relentless, the pace. And then we would go into these yoga classes. And at the end, what's that pose at the end? Corpse? Shavasana. Shavasana. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, well, no, I think the, the English translation is corpse. Oh yeah. Okay. So at the end of those classes, we would, you would just lay there. Right. And it was like the whole class was preparing you for this moment of like full body, right. mind, relaxation. And it was all about the, and, and the whole class was about breath, about keeping your breath steady and consistent through all the different, and you and I were like, and then the teacher would make the connections with life, keeping your breath steady through all the ups and downs and trials and joys of I mean, all this, we were like, what, late 20s, early 30s? We were just like, whoa. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It felt like an answer to questions we had been asking. Yeah. Because we grew up in, we were like children of the modern age where everything is split into all these different, there's exercise and there's nutrition and there's work and then there's spiritual things, right? Like life has just divided up all these pieces and then we find ourselves on a yoga mat and we're breathing, which becomes a metaphor for everything, which takes us into this ancient tradition of integration where all of life is infinitely connected with all of the rest of life. Um, I mean, I remember even the mind-blowing idea that, well, there's work and then some people choose you know, to be into like health and fitness and stuff, but realizing, oh, no, the healthier I am, the better my work is. Like you can't split these things. It's not like these are optional. Right. Or I remember it was new, the idea of being present in your body. I remember that being really new to me. Yeah. Um, Like slow movements where you are breathing and, and doing your best to stay in the present moment. Um, there was also some sort of like, I, I don't know how to put it really, but like becoming familiar with my body, right. uh, becoming at home in my body. Or intention. And remember the idea that you, because there was always that woman from the ballet, two mats over. Right. I always say, who could see her own butt. You know what I mean? Right, right. <laughs> who could like fold in half. Right. And it instantly would stir within you this competitive instinct. Yes, but the fact that there were no mirrors in the yoga studio meant right. something. In this particular studio, it was done on purpose yeah. because you weren't supposed to compare yourself to others. That violates the whole thing. So all of these impulses that you and I grew up with, which is look around, like they're going right. to grade on a curve. Where, where are you? Where or, are you ranking? And then how are, like, are, you, how, are you competing? Like how flexible are you? And when they were, I remember when the teacher was like, oh, if you're less flexible, then you're going to find your edge quicker. And that's oh. fine. Like, so you're going to... That's a reframing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it was like, like oh, you're really stiff. And people, oh, I can't do it. I'm really stiff. Oh, no, no. If you're really stiff, then it will just take a little bit to really feel something. Right. And you and I, I remember you and I just driving home. Like, we'd just be like, it was like a different, it was like it started with this thing that you do on this mat, but then it just began to like bleed into all of life. Um even the like looking over at the people around you to see how they're doing, how do you compare to them is just completely absurd in that setting. It takes like a while or looking, to untrain yourself. Right, or looking at your own reflection judgmentally. Yes. Like, I should be better at this. Right. But, but part of the philosophy in yoga is <laughs> is be, be where you are. It's like a practice that's been around for like thousands of years you're on your third class. Like, why am I not really good at this? Right. You know what I mean? It takes people a lifetime. Well, I remember even um, after doing it for a while, I I got a couple injuries, like a shoulder injury. And I remember being frustrated. Like, I thought it was like impossible to get injured in yoga. Um, but I realized that what had happened was I was taking my Western mindset of pushing myself Right. into this practice that right. was supposed to be all about listening to your body. Um, so it, there were all sorts of things that we were working out in there yeah, by right. being exposed to a different way of being. 
right, or right. living, or right, and then union of Western and Eastern consciousness. And hey, there's no scoreboard here. Well, if there's no scoreboard, I'm actually a little disoriented right now because I'm trying to figure out how to win. Right. And that, none of these normal ways of orienting myself, they're all gone. All there is is just, and then the stillness where you would suddenly become aware of all the things that you're carrying around that normally you're moving fast enough that you can't hear them or see them, but then you slow down enough and you pay attention enough and you find all these knots and tensions and anxiety, like all this stuff uh, and the chattering mind. I just remember those. We haven't talked about this in years, but I wanted to bring it up because of that sense like you and I had, oh, this, this is going to be, he, this is answering, you said before, this is answering a question. If we have this, if this is doing something for us, this is yeah, going to do something. Yeah, a question or a need. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like th this is going to take off in this world that we live in. Yeah. This is, this is going to be huge. This is going to spread um, because it is meeting a world that's thirsty with the exact water <laughs> that it needs. Right. Okay, so. <laughs> so that oh. wasn't <laughs> an advertisement for yoga. It no. was <laughs> an oh, illustration. <laughs> okay, good. There. It was an illustration <laughs> of this sense that you have of something's, something's about to be the thing that everybody's talking about. You're like my interpreter. <laughs> right. Like this is, ladies and gentlemen, this is what Rob is trying to do here. <laughs> You're can, like the rhetorical I can see guide. how this might feel confusing, like <laughs> yoga's the answer. No, <laughs> that's not I'm what's being said here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're like, it's like mystery science theater where you're like just no, providing I, I get you. commentary. You I get, get where you're going. I know you do get me. Okay, so I like going back there and thinking about that because I think the same thing um, is in the air and is going to happen in relation to time. That time, it, it turns out the time isn't what we thought it was. And the way that for many people in the modern world, time is conceived of um, isn't working. And I've already been thinking, oh, there's, there's a whole new thing coming with how we perceive time. And then this lockdown, pandemic, coronavirus, <clears throat> I actually think it's speeding it up. Um, what's going to happen. And the past couple episodes, we, we touched on it a bit, the relationship between Sabbath and production and efficiency and all of that. So, so what do you, wait, what do you think is speeding up? You don't think time is speeding up? No, no, I, no. I think this um, lockdown is, isolation. Is speeding up this awareness that yes. we're all coming to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the many things that's going to happen because everybody's like, when are things going to return to normal? Uh, they're not going to return to normal. They're going to return to something on the other side of this. That's what's going to, and, and, I, and I think that what we're going to see is a massive shift in consciousness in regards to how we conceive of time and move within time, which is, it's going to be really beautiful and good. That's, that's like a prediction. I can see it. I can already see it. You can see people's, you can see people giving expression to little bits and pieces of it. Because um, that's generally how it works, is different people get little pieces of it, and then gradually they begin communicating, and then something new forms that's like, whoa. So, Didn't you tell me that you, oftentimes you first see it in art? Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a, a, an interesting pattern in the history of art where people begin to give expression to a truth. Uh, gen generally, visual art, music, poetry, sculpture, play, drama, etc. And then scientists eventually give it technical, precise language. So, for example, Salvador Dali started painting curved clocks. And then a little while later 
Einstein comes up with his theories of relativity that time is actually curved. Hmm. So you have like a pre-verbal awareness in the heart of the artist who begins giving expression to something that then we later get technical language for. So Shakespeare is writing and referring to the unconscious. And then Freud comes along and approaches the unconscious like a scientific field to be discovered and named and analyzed. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and Freud even was reading Shakespeare going, look at what he's... Look, look what's in between the lines here of, of what Shakespeare is saying. And then he sets out to move it from art into actual empirical science. And uh, so I would, I would argue that, well, for a long time, the saints, the mystics, the poets have witnessed to time as something beyond new understandings of time or different understandings of time that we're just now coming to. So have you, have you seen this in the arts? Um, what a great question. Yes, here or there. I mean, I can go way, way back, like to the Psalms, a day to the Lord is like a thousand years. So you have the poet saying, uh, time isn't entirely consistent. But for many people, time is seen as flowing. The years just, the clock ticks. And because the uniform ticking of a clock has a certain precision, it ticks at regular intervals. For most of us, we grew up with time. The days are the same length of time and the days just keep coming. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. And then the years, it's all the exact same. A day is the same length as the day before it, the day after it. But now we know that time actually exists in like, it kind of surges might be a way to put it. Once again, I'm not a scientist, so this is all just Rob Bell language. Um, here's an example. If you are on top of a mountain wearing a watch and your friend is down in the city wearing a watch at sea level, the watch on the mountain will run faster. So literally, if you move up to the mountain and I stay down here in the city and then you come back in a few years, you will have experienced more time you will have aged faster because time literally moves faster or slower whether or not it's closer to the earth because time is related to gravity. So your time is actually moving slower for your feet than your head. Now, it's imperceptible at some light, but we can measure this. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. And by the way, time speeds up the more you move away from a body. So like the earth, because of its gravitational pull, slows time down. Now, let's, I mean, you can get poetic about this. The closer you are to a body, the more time slows down. Wow. I know. You could, like, do songs about that. Okay, so, <laughs> anyway, here's, here's an idea I want to run by you. Then I want to run another idea by you. And then I want to talk about perhaps where practically this is going to go. So, there are a number of conceptions of time across history. Uh, there's these histor historians, Strauss and Howe, who wrote a book um, called The Fourth Turning, and they lay out three different conceptions of time. There is chaotic time. So think ancient, ancient humans, um, early, early civilizations humans who had a chaotic understanding of time. Time is just like a thing that's coming. No real conception of it. It makes no sense. It has no pattern to it. You're just here, and then you're there, and then this person's born, and this person dies. Just... But then you had out of that emerged a second understanding of time, which you could call seasonal. And this was an understanding that there are cycles to life. And so generally the cycles follow, and these are agricultural civilizations. Time is understood to function like a yearly calendar of four seasons, spring, summer, winter, fall. And so there's like a repetition built into the unfolding of time. And so are we in a harvest time of abundance? Are we in the tapering off of harvest as fall comes and the season that we're in is dying? And then winter, when something is over, 
but the next season hasn't yet begun, so we're waiting. Things are dead at some level. Then in spring, you have something new being birthed, the anticipation, what's this going to be? What is this crop? What is this harvest? What kind of feast is this going to bring? And then spring brings the fullness, the culmination, the abundance, the bounty of the harvest. Now, that cyclical thing, obviously, you could almost say had an upside and a downside to it. Uh, downside being easily that could become what has been, will become before there's nothing new. It could become a sort of despair, which is we're all trapped in these cycles that just endlessly keep repeating. But it also had with it this question, what season are we in? So you, you're reading the events around you in terms of seasons. The Romans broke this up into 80 to 100-year cycles. There's a life cycle to a human being. So you have your birth, adolescence. Then you have the next portion of your life when you have kids and you build your thing. And then you have the halfway point of life when you move into the second half of life. So there's a whole world of history about a human life follows the four seasons, which I love, which means you and I are just now heading. Which season? Well, um, we're heading into the good stuff. You and I are heading into what we called autumn, which is that's when you're at full power, full <laughs> wisdom, full power. You, you've, you're, you've expended all of that building energy, and now you're sort of moving off of that. The momentum of that is carrying you into, oh, yeah, it's, we could do a whole thing on this. I could talk about this stuff all day long, but I know. But also, like, for example, Strauss and Howe in the fourth turning, they lay out how human history has moved through these 100-year cycles. So, for example, right now, coronavirus, 100 years ago, 1918, Spanish flu. So they show you how every 100 years, human history follows American Revolution, Civil War. They follow wars and show you how they happen at regular times. I mean, some of their work will just completely blow your mind. By the way, in 1997, they predicted uh, right around 2020, there would be a cataclysmic event that would upend everything and change American culture for good. Wow. <laughs> so, and, and they go back thousands of years to a hundred year repeating cycle of these four seasons. And each season calls a different kind of character or person to rise up and then somebody rises up in response to them because they meet the need of the next season. Um, yeah, we should do a whole thing on this. Anyway, what happened in the modern era is this another understanding of time came on the scene and just grabbed the microphone, which was what you could call a linear understanding of time, which is human history is headed toward a specific point and things are getting better and better and better as they evolve and move towards this single point in the future. And uh, the big religions, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, all had elements of that built into them, like a coming apocalypse with a Messiah, with an end of days, an end point. You know what I mean? Like this, um, and the reason why I bring that up is how many people over the past years I've heard ask the question, are things getting better or are things getting worse? Mm -hmm. Which is a classic um, linear understanding of time question. And this uh, linear time really got going with the Enlightenment and with the birth of the scientific revolution. Look at, we, look at all the diseases we can cure. Look at all the things we can invent. Look at all the technology. Um, you also see this in 2016 when Trump won, the number of people who are like, wait a second, this doesn't, part of the disturbance of the Trump victory was it was actually an assault on an understanding of time. Yeah, I see that. So you can see why for a number of people, what happened with this linear time is it so completely dominated cyclical time that the linear understanding of time, it's like our brains have been so marinated in it when, that when this event came that was such an upheaval, it was like, wait a second. Things were supposed to be getting better with the earth, with diversity, with care for the vulnerable, with character, integrity, art, beauty, right, justice. goodness, civility, 
intelligence, competence, all this stuff. Right, technology. Um, yes, exactly. So you can see why, for a lot of people, the real disruption was, no, I thought we were headed towards a fixed point where things are getting better and better and better. This is a step backwards. And anytime we use language of forward and backwards, there's a chance that we're actually reflecting this particular understanding of linear time. Um, and so then you get to uh, a lot of scholars talking about over the past couple of years, look at all of the progress we've made. Specifically, I was just reading um, a book where the author was arguing, look at there's no more pandemics. Mm -hmm. we have, that's, that's, that's in the dustbin of history. A best-selling book written by a globally famous scholar going, look at all the things that we have advanced beyond linear time. And then this pandemic hits, and it's not just the pandemic, it's the response to it, the incompetent response to it, which is like, whoa. So linear time has elements of truth to it. It also, if it becomes the only way you understand time, so I say that to say, in cyclical seasonal time, the dominant question is, are things getting better? The question is, what season are we in? And what is the opportunity and invitation in this season? Yeah. I literally heard somebody the other day say, somebody asked me the other day, do you think any good could come out of this pandemic, which is, which is a classic expression of linear time. Right. As opposed to seasonal time, which is, of course, no matter how dark, horrible, evil, unjust, how much death there is, which we give that, it's the space that it, and the grieving it needs. Oh yeah, they'll, we'll, Something. There, there's something in this. There's some awakening that is the seeds of an awakening are planted in this somewhere. And didn't you say invitation as well? Always, always, always. Yeah. Because that always. makes that makes it dynamic. Right. It's um we're involved in it. Right. Right. We we uh, we have an effect on the outcome. Yes. And you think about in an agricultural setting, you're intimately connected with the earth. So the earth is always doing something. So what time is it? Well, uh, the olives are ready. What time will it be after that? Well, we'll take care. We'll harvest the olives. And then it turns out, oh, look, we're about down harvesting the olives. The walnuts are ready. The sheep we need to attend to. So you you were watching creation around you, and it was naturally creating the rhythms and seasons all around you. And so you were responding with, well, now we're gonna cultivate this. Right. Now and I we'll can harvest this. I can see that we're much more comfortable with spring and summer. Yeah. And so I can see how when we're in a fall or winter, um, if you understand time in that way, it's easier to have um, like acceptance and like a surrendering to the process. Right. Instead of fighting it. Right. So I should be clear here. We're not... This is not like an argument for one understanding of time versus another. It's just trying to name the thing in the air. You can see how linear time so dominated and took over that something got lost in the process. And you can see a retrieving. They sit side by side. You draw on them in different ways. Without linear time, we wouldn't have airplanes. We wouldn't have this sort of technology where we're talking and recording our voices. So I just want to make sure it's not like a good or bad. It's just... Different things move the human experience in different ways. Speak to us. What well, we need. it's making it, it's giving it a complexity. Yes. And so when we're in a season like right now, we need room for complexity. Right. Because there's so much going on <laughs> right. that we don't understand. Right. So we right. need a model that has a yeah. little bit more like give to it. Yes, exactly. And you can see. 
the are things getting better or things getting worse? Now, obviously, our ability to handle a quickly spreading virus, our ability to build testing kits to understand how to solve, like obviously getting that's really, really important to have a linear, we need to get better at this, peoples. Let's reallocate how we spend our money as a people so that in the future we can handle something like this better. Like so there is there is that, but lurking in all of this in many ways, you can see these ancient ideas of seasons, a bunch of ways we've organized ourselves don't work. And so those ways are gonna need to die. And we're gonna to need to come up with new ways. And time, I, I think you're going to see people rediscovering some of this. Like you think about a life, sometimes a linear understanding. I want to become more patient. I'm working to become more patient. I'm, I'm, I'm all the, the things that we want, to, I want to be more loving. I want to learn to forgive people with more ease. You know what I mean? There's all these things that you work towards because you want to be more mature, more grounded, more centered. So a linear understanding of trying to become a better person is incredibly helpful. But then when you think about the arc of your life, sometimes those sorts of understandings completely fail you. Like I just, is my, am I where I'm supposed to be? I don't right. feel like I've advanced. Um, I'm trying to, it's like, ah, it's not helpful. But, well, what season are you in? Becomes a completely different discussion. A, a very like invigorating, enlightening conversation. What season, what's being born right now? What needs to die? Where are you in between? Where is there bounty and abundance? Like those questions suddenly become, open up all sorts of doors to new understanding and insights. So how are we doing so far? It's great. Yeah? Do you have more on those? I got so much more. Oh, let's go then. So, so, I, so this... This ancient conception of time, I think, is creeping back. Is, is We're reaching back for it because I think it's really helpful. It has this sort of organic, like you said, dynamic structure to it. Now, uh, I want to go back earlier to how we think of time because um, this is like the episode where I keep taking you way back. When you and I started out, we were like, get things done, like fill the calendar, go here, go there. Remember all the times we would go like to some dinner or some event and then we'd come home and be like, why did we do that? Yes. And, we, <laughs> and it was almost like we reflexively just said yes to things. Right. Because that's what it means to have a life. Right. Like you, you say yes to stuff and you go out and do stuff. Remember those fundraisers we would go to? Because somebody somewhere bought a table at a fundraiser and then was like, I bought a table. Will you come sit at my table? And we'd go to it and be like, we right. already got things we're doing. We don't need to take on more. <laughs> right. We drive home like we could have been with our kids tonight. <laughs> right. There were, yeah, there was the like, I guess you're just supposed to say yes to these things. But I think there was also, it was hard to say no. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, I, I, that, that one never gets, well, I think it gets a little easier. But We wanted people to like us. Yeah. And you want to be yes to everything. But the reason why I say that is, obviously... I sort of hit a wall, but at a larger level, when you and I, and we've talked a couple episodes ago, which has got me thinking about this episode, when we talked about Sabbath, what was happening to you and I is this broadening conception of time, because time for us was valuable to the degree to which you could fit stuff into it. You could get stuff out of it. What could I get done? And when you and I started practicing Sabbath, we would take one day a week and treat it like unlike the other days. There were no lists. I remember for you, it was no lists of things to do. For me, it was no creating things. Uh, we removed the normal structures of life. And it was just, let's take a day and just follow the day where it takes us. Right. And at first, it was, it was slightly disorienting and also wonderful and slightly intoxicating because it was like, instead of, well better stop now because we have to get to the next thing. It was just, this is great. Let's just follow it till it's done. Yes. And it also, I remember, created some feelings of panic. Like, yeah. uh, how am I going to be if I, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Like, I don't know how to just float through a day. I know that for some people that might sound really silly, 
but it's like when you're conditioned when, when when you're conditioned to to always produce always push what like, like you said like your grandma every night when she went to bed was asked what did you do today to earn your keep that right. was like it, right it was it was like in our psyches it was like yeah um yeah yeah we get shaped by this and stuff. so when there was a day that was just open and we were going to see where it took us what do you want to do now it it um it took a little getting used to at first yeah there was i remember feeling a little depressed i remember feeling panicky um there were all sorts of feelings that came up because it was stopping and feeling things um it was um being honest about things like there were all sorts of things that we couldn't push down and hide because the time kind of revealed things. Right. And the reason why I bring that up is right now, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people around the world have had many of the structures that organize time tweaked. Some have had them just simply removed. Um, there isn't an office they have to get to this morning. So they're going to be like uh, working from home, but even that, while it's still work, is going to not have some of the same, what do you even call them? Uh, boundaries, markers, reference points. And you can feel it in the air that what's actually in the air is how we think about time. Because for many people, they're not commuting right now, which is why the sky outside is so blue here right. in LA. So there's like, that's like right there, a number of hours, just handed back. What do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And the real sort of disorientation comes from time now means something slightly different. A bunch of things you used to fill your time with all around the world, we can't go do. Right. So suddenly we're handed time and that raises questions about what is the use of time. And that raises questions about what is, you know, I talk about what is a life because we construct these lives based on what we do in time, but you start tweaking the boundaries and borders of time that raises questions about what is this life that we do? Right. And I just think on the other side of this, this experience as cooped up, and claustrophobic and um, stifling as it can feel. It's also the number of people I've met who are getting proper amount of, I've talked to friends who I've talked to are getting proper amount of sleep. You know what I mean? Yes. Or who the first thing in the morning isn't, we got to feed everybody, pack the lunches and get out the door. Right. So for many people, time and the way that a day begins by unfolding is somebody else somewhere decided that all of these people within this particular domicile need to be at these different locations. Right. So you remove that. And so what are we going to do? I guess we're just here with each other. Right. I, I think it's bringing up questions that we didn't even know we were asking. Right. 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 So a couple of things. Um, Previously, the, the, issue, the issue of time is how much can I fit in? So for many people, their conception of time is built around productivity and efficiency. And I think what you're going to see in the future is you are going to see time starts to mean other things. Like, what can we experience together? How, mm. What kind of experience? Because the experiences that we love the most in life are experiences when we lose track of time. The experiences that most move us are when... Oh my, like people talk about that. We went on our first date and we talked for nine hours. You right. know, all those stories about, oh, it was just the best. We got lost in this thing and totally lost track of it. that museum, that art museum. We just lost track of time. When we talk about the peak transcendent moments of life when we feel most alive, we often, in describing those experiences, speak of a forgetting of the linear unfolding of time. Right. And... When you taste that, 
And literally right now when you're forced to just be in your space, literally like now, like I love how a number of our leaders, governors and mayors are like, you can serve your fellow citizens by staying home. Right. You know what I mean? This is how you You can serve. help by doing nothing. Right, right, right. It's literally being forced. Just be present where you live. Right. With whoever it is that you live with. And my observation is people are tasting. I mean, there's a there's a panic, a grief, all the things you and I have talked about at length in these past couple episodes that are in the air. But also what's in the air is yeah, we were all just sitting in the backyard talking. We didn't have to be anywhere. We couldn't be anywhere. And it was kind of nice. It was kind of simple. Right. There is a depth of life that is found in simplicity, not complexity. Yes. There is a richness of the human experience that's not found in more it's found in less. Yes. It's like we're so moved. I mean, you know, I've always, I've always been such an admirer of Zen where, no, don't have three of them, have one. Uh, or the artists who paint and file down and make perfect the back of the frame that no one's ever going to see because when it gets mounted, you'll only see the front, the art in the front. But the attention to making sure that this thing is sound in the front and back, the pieces you can see and the pieces that you can, all of it. Just do this one thing, but do it so thoroughly and intentionally that it has the power and presence that 10 things you make would have. Because you gave everything, all the energies you would have given those 10 things, you gave to this one. So that one possesses those life energies of yours in a way that 10 or 100 couldn't. You know, that reminds me of, um, I love going to art museums and looking at art. And one of the things that moves me about art is when you read about how long it took the artist yes. to make the piece. Yeah. Like sometimes it's like 10 years. Right, right. And I remember now uh, standing there having it kind of break apart my conceptions of time. Yes, right. Like, right. who does that? Right, right, right. Who works on one thing for 10 <laughs> yes. years? But they right. had to, to like immerse themselves in the depth of it so that we could stand in front of it and have it move us at like a level that we can't explain. Right. So like at the Broad, at the top of the stairs, the Broad, by the way, is this uh, art museum here in L.A. that, you and I go to, we love right, this museum. Right, it's my favorite. A couple of years ago at the top of the stairs, the main exhibit, like when you went to the top of the stairs and then turned back to the left, remember there was that giant red tapestry on the wall? Right. It must have been like 30 or 40 feet tall. And somebody had taken a particular brand of African beer, had a label on it, like almost like a cloth label. Oh, I thought it was tin. I thought it was oh, you're right, you're right. It was or like aluminum. A, but it looks like cloth from a distance. Right. That's they what took these so amazing aluminum, about it. Almost like a two inch, maybe three inch long seal on a particular brand of African beer. And they had collected them for who knows how long. And then they had attached them to each other and made like a almost looked like a flag or like a drape. Right. It they Ugh. somehow took a hard um, material right. and made it look like it was flowing in the wind. <laughs> and the scale, um, it was like a story, two stories tall or something. I, mean, I just remember it just being massive, but at a distance, you can't quite figure out what it is because it's stunning. It's having this effect on you. And then you come up close to it and your, your heart, but what you're seeing, what you're feeling is at some level time. Like right. Some, like you start to realize somebody, what somebody stood did. outside yeah. of our normal yeah. Yeah. understanding of time. Yeah. Yes. I'm raising my hands in the air. There you go. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Well, you exactly. were also telling me that there's a long tradition of the mystics going away and being alone. And one of their intentions was to better understand 
Oh yeah, you cut you you Time. you leave behind all the structures that have been created in order to you're out there. It's like you cut the cords and you're just floating out there. You've got the rhythms of creation, sun, moon, day, night. You've got seasons. You've only got a few markers left of the passage of time. Otherwise, it's just you. Yeah, and that's where you find. That's where you find all sorts of things. Yeah, you even think about like in the the poet in Psalms, "Be still, and know that I am God." It's like you want to be grounded in the eternal, in the luminous, in the infinite. You want to taste the infinite. Slow down. Leave behind your normal markers of the passage of time because the infinite is in the stillness. So it's no surprise to me that everybody... I saw there's this great meme that this quarantine we're all in is Mother Nature saying to everybody... <laughs> I want you to go to your room and think about what you've done. Oh, man. But like everybody got sent to our room to think about what we've done. Um, it's no surprise that a number of people in the midst of all the other things that are happening are witnessing to these experiences of like, because obviously loneliness, pain, loss, grief, but then actually there's something hiding in all this. It's like doing something to me. Of course. Right. Yeah, it's, of course. it's an opportunity to live like the artist or like the mystic. Yeah, there's long tradition. Those and of you who are like, what is going on here? Well, what just happened is a bunch of people were forced to do something that a number of people in different traditions and in different trades and different crafts did voluntarily um, because there's something there. There's something there when you pull away the stimulus. Because that was a huge thing for you and I was... Uh, and obviously you had a back with occupational therapy, you had a background in this, but it was new to me understanding the physiology of adrenaline, cortisol. Um, but when you and I first started to think differently about time, the first thing that happened to me was awareness that my body really liked the adrenaline hits. Right. Even, even the fact that texts, texts have a certain adrenaline hit, that little blue dot comes up. Ooh, it's like a little spike. Um, so when you turn off your phone, there's a physiological thing happening. You're not getting that hit that keeps you going through the day. And when I've, you remove that hit. I've noticed uh, during this time that I, I miss adrenaline hits. I've noticed it. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's, there aren't the like sparks that you experience. Yes. I don't. Yeah. In life before this. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> right, right, right. Um, that's very interesting. Yeah. So, uh, in light of that, here, uh, here's the, here, here is where I see it headed in the most concise language I can create. I think in the future you're going to see people move to fewer and fuller. Because the number of people you and I have met who are, talk about how busy life is, oh, we're just going here and we're going there and we're just... And the number of people who say to me, oh my word, you must be so busy. I can't believe how crazy your life must be. And you've seen me. I get like mental. I'm way too reactive about that because um, my life isn't. Like I'm here with you guys. Um, right. You've been very in intentional normal life. about not living a busy life. Right. And for a number of years now. So, so um, I was thinking in thinking about this podcast, why I'm so reactive when people think like my day must be jam packed with things, which it's not. Um, and I realized the reason why I like it. God, I don't want to use that word triggered, but it's the best word for it is because I did try I tried that. You know what I mean? I did used to live like that. I had a daily planner that like the whole day long was filled. Um, you know, back in the 2003s. Um, and, it, and it didn't work for me. It brought me all sorts of pain um, and a sense of futility. And so then I but like... But there can also be a redefining because you are busy in a sense, but you're yes. busy like paying attention. Yes, okay. So that's where I'm headed with this. <laughs> oh. That's where I'm headed with this is... I think that what's happening with this imposed upon everybody slowdown is a number of people are experiencing some other way of thinking about time 
and that coming out of this, because like one of the things going to go back to normal, they're not going to go back to normal because some of the pace of life has revealed itself as insane. Right. Once and, you see, you can never unsee. Ooh, good one. Yeah. I've heard someone say that. So uh, the reason why I say fewer and fuller is years ago, you, you would say to me, Rob, I know you can do those 10 things, but if you just did two of them and gave everything you had to those two things, there would be a fullness in those two things. Remember when I first, when, when I first wrote a book, you were like, I mean, you can go all over and do this and this and this, but if you were to sit still and take all those thoughts that you were going to say at this place and this place and actually craft them and write them down, it would have so much more power and endurance in the world. I remember that's um, when I first started writing was, was I had some stuff I wanted to say, but you brought in this interesting perspective of like, if you could just do a few things, Rob Bell, you probably didn't call me Rob Bell. Uh, if you were just gave yourself to just a few things instead of being more scattered, those things would, those few things would, would bring you more joy and would have more effect in the world. And, you know, I will talk about this to anybody who will listen over the past, whatever, 15 years. But I think you're going to see people start to do this, like with their calendars. Because the lie of efficiency is just push yourself as hard as possible and get the most amount of stuff done. But that's actually not how you get the most amount of stuff done. Because then you're exhausted. You're a shell of a person. Well, this experience calls it all into question. Yeah, like, right, right. Where were we running to? <laughs> yes, exactly. We were all running really fast, but where do we think we were right. going? By the way, dear everyone listening to this episode who has found themselves morning, what was all of that activity for? Because you can go to those five meetings and spend five hours in those five-hour-long meetings and be like, oh, I worked really hard for those five-hour meetings, five hours of meetings, but rested, centered, focused, totally dialed in, you could have gone to those meetings in a different state of being and gotten way more done. Because when you're coming from that place of rest and center, you can see the insanities, the things that you would have just put up with. You sit and listen to this person talk for 12 minutes when you could have stopped them one minute in when you're really centered and focused and been like, I'm sorry, are, are you trying to say this? Yeah, I am. Or it becomes very clear which things yes. you want to do and which things you really don't want to do. But yes. And going back to the like saying no thing, I've noticed that when we're tired, it's harder to say no. Yeah. So yeah. when you're rested and clear and know what you want in life, it's a lot easier to discern. And if you have work to do that's given to you by somebody else, the best way you're going to honor them and actually get it done is from a place where you're at your best. Because what would have taken you so much longer is simply going to take you less because you're going to see all of the little spaces and you're going to understand sort of the, the larger thing that you're doing here. The reason why I bring that up is if you move to fewer and fuller, you're opening up space and space is always where the interesting stuff happens. Yeah, I think you're right. Space is always where you hear the things you wouldn't have heard otherwise. You have the interactions uh, that you wouldn't have had. So if you're rushing to one thing after another after another, and you know, like, I, I do all my own errands because there's always that thing that happens when you're talking to the person, you're mailing a box at the box store, I'm at the grocery store, and I end up in a conversation with somebody, and it's like, it's like when you're, fully present in fewer things, all these spaces open up for things to happen that are what actually move you and keep you filled with the wonder and awe. It's the great mystery of it all. There's a couple things I had about that. That's great. I think you're going to see, especially in regards to production, I think people are going, you're going to see people embrace cleaner and more elegant understandings of how they plan their time and realize you can be just as effective and productive 
but coming from this different space. Are you going to hear people start talk about this? Yep. Yeah, I like. I like the image of an artist. Like we can use this time. To like really live differently. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're gonna and even the financial terror that's in the air right now. I mean, God, my heart goes out. Like all the unemployment, all the all the businesses that are just sort of hanging in the balance, things that have already just suffered setbacks. Um, I think you're going to see a whole world of people uh, in the midst of this tremendous stress and the like, how are we going to eat? Well, we have to, we're going to have to rethink everything. Well, And that's always, no matter how difficult it is, always, if you're rethinking everything, there's imagination and creativity in there. It's always how it works. No matter how stressful it gets, there's also, well, if we got to rethink this thing, we might as well go the whole way. How, how, how else can we rethink it? Yeah. Yeah, I was moved by um, Lissa's email that you shared with me where she said that as an artist... Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, she's already... She already lives project to project <laughs> yes. and is... I mean, you can probably explain it better than me, but I recently heard another artist say almost the exact same thing. Like, um, the financial un um, insecurity isn't anything new. Um, yeah. Because yeah. they live project to project and they don't know where the next um, income is going to come from. Yeah. It's funny how many of our friends have said something along the lines of, yeah. Yeah, we don't know what's going to come. There's this there's a whole bunch of yeah, yeah, welcome to how we've been living for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I I was moved too because she said something along the lines of, you know, I'm I'm ready to be a rock for people. Oh, yes. In this. Shout out to Lisa Mandel, our beloved friend. Yeah, that was a great line. It's a great line. Like I I've been living this way for a long time, totally trusting that Everything will be provided for. So for everybody who this is new, I got you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was really beautiful. I love it. Yeah, so uh, thank you for letting me throw a bunch of stuff against the wall. Yeah, it's like we just went to a yoga class. <laughs> oh, you had to. <laughs> what is that? It's like we just went to our first time class. I don't know. Oh, by the way, can I do one more thing about history? Yeah. Um, a calendar is a relatively new invention. And a calendar presents time as uniform squares, like like on our Apple laptops when you open them up and the calendar comes up. It's these, these boxes that are all the same. So for many of us, our conception of time is boxes that are the same exact size heading backwards. Oh, it was three months ago? Oh, so that's uh, 30 days times three boxes back, right? And then what's in two months? Oh, that's two of the big squares forward, which each have 30 squares in them. So we have very geometric symmetrical, all the exact same size images of time. A bunch of boxes back behind and a bunch of boxes before. But that's actually a, a new idea. And for most of human history, if you ask somebody what year it is, they'd be like, what are you, like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I think you and I talked about this in another episode, but now here's what's interesting to me. Historically then, for thousands of years, the way that people talked about time was in relation to generations and events. So when was it? It was before the Great War involving the Smith clan. Was it before or after the fall of the city of whatever? Was it in between which plague and which plague? Who was the emperor? Um, who had just been, was it your four generations back or five? So time was much more you know, like stretchy and bendy that was in the time of the great queens, hmm. um, which was just before the time of the great kings. So you can see even historically people had much more stretchy understandings of time based on what had happened. So less like precise measurements of exactly how many days ago it was. It was more like it was before the great drought, mm. but after the flood. 
So what's happening right now with like our, like Preston who just keeps saying everything's going to be before and after this thing. Mm -hmm. Everything's going to be before and after the coronavirus. And then you see even people in the collective imagination sort of trying to reach back. Well, I mean, 9-11, that was kind of big. The financial collapse of 2008, that like, we're like, we're like trying to locate this thing we're experiencing in light of other big things. And then we go, well, we weren't around, but World War II was obviously a huge deal. Uh, the assassination of JFK was a huge deal um, in terms of time, before, after, were you alive, when, where were you, when you heard. Mm -hmm. And uh, so another thing that's in the air right now is there's an ancient way of understanding time that is rearing its head and it's making its way back into this highly efficient industrialized time as precise units that are measured out that give you, I work eight hours, I get this much money, that kind of thing, is this other an ancient understanding is coming up is we're living in the middle of an event that is going to define our lives. And that is fascinating because people are trying to name it, but it's actually, it's actually the recapturing of something really ancient, which is the measurement of your life is around significant events. It's the events that shape it. Hmm. So then you think at the just practical street level, how many people right now are experiencing things? Maybe it's the disequilibrium, maybe it's the disorientation, maybe it's the pain and stress, but that years later, it will have led to something new, new work, new priorities, you know what I mean? And this will be the defining event. Yeah, I was in the midst of that. Because just, you know, from the years of interacting with people, what happened to me was this realization of how many people, when they told me about the events that shaped them, talked about pain, loss, tragedy, heartache, hmm. stress, betrayal. Um, over the years, just interacting with so many people and hearing story after story after story, and people would say, Oh, yeah, everything changed. And I'd say, why? Because ah, my dad died. My mom got cancer. I lost my job, but then realized that it was like a, it was awful. But then it turned out to be a gift because I should have done that in the first place. Um, but we're actually in one of those right now. It's an event that has the capacity and potential to reshape all sorts of things. I think it's a much better way to think about aging. Not how many years have I lived or Thank days you. or months. That's where but I was going to. How many of what are the events that have I've experienced? What are yeah. that's that fills my life with so much more meaning than how many years old am I? Which is why, literally, woman, you know me because you, woman, <laughs> what is that? Yeah. What did I just get? Victorian. <laughs> I liked it. It was. It was. Uh, this is. This is actually it was like, how it was like I, a speech was coming. Literally, how I was going to end this episode was I was going to. I was thinking I wanted to end by observing that you don't care about years. That's where I was headed. With. I was trying to. I was trying to make my way from this larger thing to this. Personal. I try not to. Like how old yeah. you are. I, I've. I've never heard you talk about how old you are, because it like you just don't care. What you care about is like. Curiosity, youth, vitality, being more alive than ever. Right. Or maybe you could even take youth out of there because I'm excited about the autumn. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yes. But I've just noticed this about you. There's something ancient about how you, when everybody's like, so-and-so's this old, so-and-so's this old. I just noticed you never, you're never, you don't ever, like sometimes I'll just ask people how old they are and you'd be like, Rob, you know what I mean? Like, how old are you? And you you just don't care because going back to this very ancient events, what happened? And then what happened after that? And then what happened after that's where life is found. Yeah. Well, I think it also brings a sense of gratitude. Like when you don't define your life by how many years old you are, but all the things you've gotten to experience. Yes. Right. Um, right there's like a welling up of gratitude for life instead of a, oh gosh, how many do I have left? Like a lack, like 
man, I'm already right, halfway right, through right, this right, thing. Right, 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 right. This explains to me why when people say that they're too old for things, I just like, I get like really fierce. Like, no, you're not. No, you're not. Or, or that thing, um, the best of life, either my best days are behind me or it passed me by. I'm realizing now why that strikes me so strongly and I get so fierce in resisting that is no, no, because your, your life, there's another way to understand time. So you're, you're so many years old. And so that somehow means then that all the, the good times are behind or no, 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 no events, events. And you can step into something right now. Yeah. And even if you're not having a lot of hope about events that you would like to happen, like when you reflect on the events that you have experienced, doesn't it bring hope? Right. For, for whatever. That stuff happened. Yeah. No one saw that coming. So I'm going with the data here. A number of things have happened that I never could have seen coming. Right. And a number of them were amazing. Right. So, of course, I'm living with the expectation that these sort of interesting things will continue to happen. Yeah, see, that's good. That helps me understand why when, oh, my, people raising their hand, I can picture it now going like, well, I'm kind of, I can't really start that now. Why? Of course you can. Yeah. Of course you can. <laughs> of course you can. Kristen Bell says you can. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that was a bit about time. That's great. People's out there. We hope it helps. We're with you in all this. From our house to yours. Yes, much from love. Our, from our lockdown to yours. <laughs> Grace and peace be with you. Until next time. <laughs>